I'm going to bring you down now to Jimmy and Marky on the call, live at Bob's Barbershop. All right, Marky, episode 33, Quiet on the Tee. Aaron Alpern, he's a PGA caddy, he's a play-by-play and public address announcer for Buffalo State Hockey, and he's worked in radio. Aaron Alpern, welcome to Seneca Street. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah. Well, Aaron, you don't really meet guys that are involved in the PGA Tour. You just were big fans of the PGA. So Aaron comes to us, and he's a caddy. He's a looper. How many How many names have, have you heard? Pro Jack, looper. I mean, it's. I, I think I have looper in my Twitter handle. It might, yeah. It, it's Buffalo looper is what my, my handle is, and they're – you know, it's a variety of people that know me as Looper, or variety of different ways along those uh, along those lines. But I mean, Caddyshack is like the perfect golf movie for anyone that has any level of interest in golf, whether or not it's somebody that's just casually interested in golf that just loves a great comedy, or if somebody is on tour, it is the most quoted movie on a day to day basis. You cannot go to a PGA Tour event without hearing somebody quote Caddyshack at some point. Yeah, and he have to get more obscure in order to impress anybody. <laughs> and in order to, we were talking earlier. In order to be a caddy, it's almost like a business. Explain to us how you start a business to become a caddy. Well, it's kind of a, 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 a everyone kind of has a different journey into it. Everybody gets to caddying from a different spot, whether or not it's a, a friend that plays that needs a caddy. Or if it's uh, just something that they've you know always wanted to do. Personally, for myself, I grew up playing competitively. I was a decent player by Western New York standards, which means I was terrible by American standards. Um, I I needed somebody to pull me aside when I was like 16 or 17 and go, you know, the height of your career might be Division three college golf, if you're lucky. I thought I was better than that, so I tried to play Division one, and I was in a program for about 20 minutes. But uh, essentially what it was for me was that I went away from golf for a while and worked in radio and realized over time as I was maybe getting a little bit burnt out on that work that I never gave golf a serious opportunity to call as a career. And I always always thought that I knew the game better than I could play it. And there was a that thought in the back of my mind that, you know, I would like to try to caddy on tour. And essentially what I did was I quit my job in radio, took a job at a golf course in New Jersey caddying for about, did that for about three months and said, well, if I'm doing this, I want to do it. I want to try it for real. And I want to go, I want to caddy on tour. I want to caddy for the best players in the world instead of, you know, the, the, the guy at the country club who, who basically is just, isn't maximizing what I could do to help him because, you know, he can't hit the shots that I'm telling him to hit. So I got lucky enough to get my name on a list of local caddies for the old nationwide tour event in Rochester. And nationwide tour has now gone through like seven different names since then. It went as nationwide and then web.com and now corn Ferry tour, but that's beside the point. Um, I got on the list of the local caddies for that tournament. I got lucky enough to get a job that week not through the being on, on the list of local caddies, just by hustling it on my own out of the parking lot. I watched all the tour caddies just going up to guys and talking to them as they pulled in and got their clubs out of the car. And like, I'm not going to get a job if I just sit here and wait for somebody to, to ask for me. So I basically, you know, started asking players myself. And the first guy I asked was Jason Duffner. Really? And the only reason I asked him, and I was almost positive he had a caddy. 
Sure. Because he was he was already pretty well known at that point. He was having a good year on that tour, and it was it was more just to to get the experience and to get you know to get over being scared shitless about asking a guy to caddy for him. And so I went and and I had actually played in a qualifier with Jason when I was must have been like sixteen or seventeen, and we were in somewhere in Michigan and. It's a rain-shortened nine-hole qualifier, and we both shot 39 and didn't get in. But you know, I went and I relayed that story to him, and you know, we, we chatted for a minute. I'm like, okay, this isn't that hard. And the next guy I asked was uh, a guy who was actually going to find the caddy master to ask for a local caddy. I'm like, well, if you need somebody, I'm available. And you know, he took a shot and gave me a chance that week. We made the cut, and at the end of the week, I said, do you, you have any interest in having me next week in Scranton? He goes, you want to keep doing this? <laughs> I go, yeah, why not? And I worked for him for the next nine events that year. Made enough contacts and got to know enough people that all I had to do was keep showing up at tournaments and there would be work. And this this is like the the minor leagues too, so yeah. you, you're not getting you're not getting a good percentage here. Well, I mean, you're still getting a percentage. I mean, the percentages are the same, but you're dealing with you know the the money on the PGA Tour is ten times what it is on the next uh, on the level down, you know, right. what's now known as the Corn Ferry Tour. Uh, so you know when you see a guy, you know, have a have a good week, finish like tenth on the PGA Tour, and make you know one hundred twenty thousand dollars, that same finish a level down is ten percent of it. So it's wow. it's it's twelve thousand dollars. And then the caddies percentage is, you know, whatever they negotiate, you know, wow. seven, ten, five, seven, ten percent, depending on the finish. It's uh, the money drops off quite substantially. So everybody wants to be on the PGA Tour, but you know there are only you know 150 jobs every week. Right. Yeah. Was there ever a moment when you're at that level that was like that backdraft moment where a guy came over and he's like, "Yeah, you're doing it wrong, kid." Was that like every day when you start? Um. Yes and no. I remember from the uh, one story I remember from my first week, and it's funny because it's a it's a caddy that I ended up being really good friends with over time, and and uh, you know I, I you know still in, in touch with him, and he he's caddying for Brian Stewart right now, uh, but I was I was paired with with this guy my first my first week in Rochester, and I was it was after the round, and I was kind of there as a part of a conversation he was having with another caddy, and they were talking about finding the hole locations for the next day. And what the tour will do is they'll put, you know, a little dot on the green for where the hole's going to be the next day. And, you know, if you see, if you're watching, you know, caddies and, as a group is on the green, the caddies are wandering over in a different part of the part of the green. They're looking at the next day's hole location and kind of measuring how far it is from, you know, over an edge or how, how much, you know, where to be in relation to, to that hole location. So there, these two caddies are talking about that and, and, uh, <laughs> And, and like, well, did you get the, the whole the whole location on 16? It's like, no, I was in the bunker, and so I didn't get a chance to look at it. But and it was like, well, maybe somebody else in my group could have seen it. And he looks at me, I go, hey, this is my third round. I don't know what I'm doing yet. <laughs> oh man, and what talk about the preparation for any caddy, whether whatever tour? What do you got to do before you hit that first tee? On well, we'll go back to the practice round. Sure. Let's let's start the practice round. And then work our way. It kind of depends on how much time you have. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, I want to be as prepared as possible for every possible scenario that could happen during the tournament. So, I mean, I'm going to spend long hours on the golf course if I have them and, and really spend time analyzing holes, 
looking at whole locations, you know, potential scenarios for when you get in trouble, where you would want to play to for, you know, a given whole location or, wh- or whatever the case may be. I want to be able to answer every question that my guy could ask me. So, I mean, really, it's, uh, it, it, it's you prepare as much as, as, as you really want to. And, you know, some guys do, do less than others, but for me, it's, uh, you're, you're out there, you're making sure that you're, you know, your yardage book, you know, where you're going to be on a, on a given hole, where you're going to be getting yardages from, and just kind of the potential way that a hole can be played. And you do that, you know, 18 times over. So, I mean, I, I, I've spent as much as, you know, 15 hours on a golf course in preparation for one tournament. If I have that time, I'll take it. Absolutely. Because, you know, the more prepared I feel I am, the better I feel like I can help my player. And then sometimes your player still plays like dog crap and it doesn't matter how much preparation you've done. Yeah. So, and it also depends on the guy, probably when you're loading that bag, the superstitions, don't touch this, don't touch that. Do you get, do you run into any of that either? Yeah. And they're, they're always, I mean, everybody's, everybody's different and especially in a, in a field like professional golf, you run into a lot of, you know, bizarre superstitions and things like that. And you just kind of, you know, adjust for every, every situation. You, you become really flexible really fast because you have to be, I mean, every, every person's different and you're trying to help them, you know, play up to their potential. So you kind of adjust what you do based on how it will help them the best. And you know, you got to count the clubs, how many balls are in there. So, you, I mean, you got you to go through a checklist, and you're worrying about the weather. Yep. So there's a lot of factors into becoming a caddy where you, you have to look at the weather report, obviously. I'm a, I'm a professional weather forecaster. <laughs> I, I can look at a forecast. I can look at a radar. I can look at a sky, and I can give you a really strong opinion about what's going to happen. Whether or not I'm right doesn't really matter. <laughs> the, the key is that I can give an opinion that I feel is going to be right. But then you get some days where where you get the the weather forecast, especially the wind forecast, and you get, you know, all day long, wind out of the southwest at, you know, 10 to 15, and then you get to the first tee, and it's out of the northeast. And you go, okay, we can just throw that weather forecast out. <laughs> One of the great jokes is you get a wind forecast where it's light and variable. And it's like, well, I guess we're throwing grass all day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, so what was your uh, first, like, break into like the upper level like who were you what was what was your first break in your in your mind um I mean there have been I I, I guess you can look at it differently as uh, when was the the first time that I caddied on the PGA Tour when was the first time that you know I had a PGA Tour job full-time I guess they're two different stories and they're both they're they're both pretty interesting at least from my perspective but the first PGA Tour event I caddied in was uh, actually in the state of New York at Turning Stone in 2008, which was, if I remember correctly, Dustin Johnson's first win on tour. Oh, yeah. And I was, we had two weeks off on the nationwide tour at the time, and a buddy of mine was getting married in Ocean City, Maryland, another caddy. So I went down for his wedding, uh, which was a Saturday wedding, so it was Friday, Saturday, and then was driving back home on Sunday, and I'm coming up I-81, coming up on Syracuse and I go I go west I go home I go east I can go to the Monday qualifier at Turning Stone I got nothing going on this week might as well go get a hotel show up show up at the golf course Monday morning see what happens 
So I do that. I, you know, get a hotel, go to the golf course first thing in the morning and it's cold and raining and I'm hating my decision for being there already. And I don't have a job. And so I'm just basically kind of wandering around, you know, seeing who's around and, and, uh, Dean Pappas walks past me and, and Dean goes, Hey, cousin, who are you working for? I go, I don't have a job yet. I'm looking. He goes, well, here, take my bag. All right, fine. I got a job now. And, uh, we were paired with Doug LaBelle and Lee Jansen and all three guys shot 70 and nobody thought they were getting into the tournament. But it turns out that there were four guys that shot 70 that day, uh, Craig Kanata being the fourth, and they all got in clean. And next thing I know, I'm working a PGA Tour event. And it was just kind of like a happenstance decision as I'm driving up 81. It's like, well, do I want to go try to work this week or I just want to go home? And it was uh, about the worst weather you could possibly imagine. This, as I told everybody that week, this is this week, this tournament is the absolute reason you don't have a golf tournament in the state of New York in October, because it's going to be 39 degrees and raining like it is now. <laughs> and I was uh, the only thing that surprised me that week is that it didn't snow, because well, it felt gonna, like it was going to. I was going to ask you, being a, a Buffalo caddy, of course that's the first PGA Tour event. Yeah, you knew that. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, and it's, it's funny how it worked out. You know, my first, my first event. Caddying as you know, as a professional caddy was at Arondequoit Country Club in Rochester. My first PGA Tour event was at Turning Stone, outside of Verona, I think it is. That's yeah, the yeah. name of the town. And my first major was the PGA Championship at Oak Hill. Wow. And so it, it all kind of is has blended together and, and and allowed me to to stay close to home while getting while getting those great great experiences caddying. How was the rest of the week at Turning Stone? Uh, we missed the cut by a thousand, <laughs> and uh, and my memory was of standing outside the clubhouse while while Dean was inside drinking diet coke and wines, <laughs> and waiting to get paid. Yeah. Does any <laughs> does anything change when the the camera gets in front of your face? Uh, in terms of me or in terms of the players? I'm just saying, is that something that happens to players? Yeah, yes and no. I think I can probably speak to it a little bit better from the caddy's perspective. Uh, you kind of know when when your group's on TV. You know if there's a guy playing well in your group, or you know if your guy's playing well. That and and the cameras show up. You kind of you stand a little bit straighter. You you, you think about what you're doing a little bit more, but it's you're, you're still doing your job. You just have enough. There's enough downtime, you know, between shots, and when you're not actually thinking about what you're doing for your job that you can notice where the camera is. And I know that there are more than a handful of caddies that always know where the camera is. And that's why you see them on TV a lot. I could name names and point fingers, but they're, yeah. Go ahead. We're on well, yeah. Street. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't see Don Donatello walking through that door right now <laughs> or, or Brett Waldman. <laughs> what was the uh, reaction with your family, either seeing you on TV or pushback? Well, it was, uh, the first thought from from my family was that, you know, this is something that Aaron wants to explore. He's always loved golf. We'll support him, but you know, see if you can, you know, find a way to turn this into a real job. And oh, I get that a lot. Uh huh. It, it it was like, all right, you're going to be able to make good contacts out there and people that work within the golf industry. See if you can, you know, parlay that into something else. And I was like, okay, yeah, Dad, that's a great idea. I mean, that's exactly what I'm going to be looking to do. And all I was really looking to do was 
establish myself more as a caddy and mm-hmm. and get good at it learn what i was doing you know become try to get better every tournament every day that i was out there and you know eventually over time i started to have more success and you know once i got established on the pga tour that, that i stopped hearing my parents talking about right. you know you yeah. know, see if you can parlay this into something we, yeah, else we like to talk about the hustle so like that's like the thing is like you hustled to do it and then you're like yeah i'm on tv now yeah, I'm doing the, what I said I would do, you know. It's kind of like a... Mm-hmm. And then you look at... I've met uh, European tour caddies. I've never met a PGA caddy. You're the first one. I'd like to hang out with European tour caddies more. They're nuts. They're all named Mick. Uh, oh, yeah. Every every single European t- tour caddy is named Mick. And they all... It's, it's about the joke to them almost. Oh. They're there to joke. They have some of the best jokes and some of the best stories. Those guys, it's you love getting paired with a European tour player just because it's going to be so much more entertaining than it would be getting paired with you know the normal guy that you see week in and week out. And uh, some of those guys were just the best. Oh yeah, it, it, like I heard a story once where they're you know they're saying off oh, if, if I got if I three put this again, you know you're gonna you guys could go and. Uh, have fun with my wife. <laughs> and then the caddy goes, after he puts it in the hole, like they're going to the next hole, he goes, what room number is your wife in? <laughs> so there's a lot of, there's a lot of joking around from those euros. I've heard. Oh yeah. And they'll, and they're, they're ruthless too. Like they, 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 they joke about other caddies. They joke about players. Uh, you know, my favorite European tour caddy story is that is the, the way they all refer to Miguel Angel Jimenez. They know him as crime. Oh yeah, because crime don't pay. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah, that- so the camaraderie between players, like, was there ever like a WWE thing that was like, oh man, it's the SmackDown, or is it all just like cool? We're all making money playing a game. Uh, it kind of depends on the level that you're at. Like, it's it's the camaraderie is really strong, and it's a kind of a legitimate family atmosphere on you know at that triple a level of professional golf and i have no idea how to refer to that tour it's the corn fairy tour now it was the web.com tour for seven the years. nike tour the nike tour the buy.com tour originally the ben hogan tour um but you know on that tour there is everybody is trying to achieve the same goal they're all trying to get to the pga tour and there are you know 50 cards every year that come out of that tour so you don't you don't necessarily have to cut the guy's throat next to you to get there but then when you get to the PGA Tour, everybody kind of ends up going off on doing their own thing. It's a lot less of, you know, four or five players meeting and having dinner. It's usually, you know, player having dinner with his caddy or having dinner with his agent. Or, and it's a, it's, while, while the lifestyle is a lot more comfortable on that tour, obviously because of the money, it's a, it's a lot less of a family that, that goes from town to town, week to week, even though it's the, you know, it's the same people that are going from, you know, one tournament to the next, but you're just not going to spend as much time with them on, on that level as you did coming up. And then it, I was doing some research on you, and it seemed a couple of years back at the Masters, you were in contention on Sunday. You were the leader, actually, your for, group. Well, there, for, a, for a very brief time, I was catting for Smiley Kaufman. For a very brief time on Sunday, he was tied for the lead. Right, he made he made birdie on he made birdie on the second hole, and and that tied him with Spieth at the time. I mean, it was like thirty seconds later. Well, this is Jordan we're talking about, so it was probably like a minute and a half later that Jordan made his birdie putt to go back out in front by one. And uh, but there, there there was a brief time where I was on Sunday, 
caddying for the guy who was tied for the lead in the Masters. Just talk about go back to the beginning of like what it's like to go to the Masters. I mean, he, Marky was just there. I was just there. That was like it was unbelievable. Like it was like you Disneyland of golf. You can't describe it to somebody. It re- it really is impossible to describe the scale of everything at that golf course and just the way the tournament is run. It is. Everything is flawless about it. Right. So, like, was that your was that the crowning moment of like uh, all golf courses? Was was there like places you went and you're like, I never thought I'd be here? Was that like every place you went and then it was the Masters? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's funny. You know, people will ask me, you know, like, oh, what's your favorite course on tour? I go Augusta. They're like, well, aside from Augusta, I'm like, you can't say aside from Augusta. You have to mention Augusta in this conversation. But uh, everything about my experience at the Masters. Uh, from you know the couple of trips we took there leading up to the tournament to that whole week there and it just something that I'll never forget it was just such an incredible experience and something to be ha- to have done was was really it was it, it was you know one of those you say it's a dream come true but I mean it really legitimately was because it's never something you really expect to be able to do how did that come about well um Smiley uh, graduated from that time, the web.com tour, onto the PGA tour. Um, I had been, see, kind of give you my little brief background in terms of where I was at that point in my career. Uh, I had worked for Jason Kokrak for three or four years, and then we got completely sick of each other. Really? <laughs> and, and that'll happen because you spend, you know, six, seven hours a day with the same person, uh, you know, five, six days a week half the year you learn everything about each other and you know everything about each other that will piss you off and over time it you, you kind of you, you kind of wear on each other so but we we parted amicably and I would go back to I actually went back to work for him later on at at, a, at another point in my career but I went from working for Jason to working for Andrew Swoboda who at the time was on the PGA tour and it was it, it this was, I felt like I had, I had arrived at that point because, you know, I got fired one day and then two days later I had another job. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm established now. Um, after 10 weeks with Andy, we, it, that did not go well. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I got, I got sent packing again because the caddy's the easiest thing to change. And, uh, then it was, I was actually having a hard time finding another PGA tour job and, it was more of a, you know, you take the jobs that are available and you, you want to get back here. So, all right, what's, what's my next best option if there isn't a job available on tour? I'm going to go work for somebody at the, at the level below where I, I've come up that way before. I can do it again. And if you find the right player, you can get back there. And luckily enough, I got put in touch with, with Smiley. And first tournament I caddied for him in Evansville, Indiana, and the web.com tour, he won. And then he finished second, you know, later on in that season in another tournament, he finished probably like sixth or seventh on that money list to get himself onto the PGA Tour. His first event in California, he finished 10th. Had a really strong week, finished well on Sunday, carrying a lot of momentum forward, and then he wins the next week in Vegas. He shoots 61 on Sunday to come from forever back, and we had to sit around and wait for like two and a half hours to see if anybody could catch him, but nobody did. And... So, I mean, you win a PGA Tour event, full-field PGA Tour event, you are qualified for the Masters. So I went from, you know, in a very (laughs) short period of time, caddying, you know, at the AAA level, 
you know, excited about moving up and getting, getting the PGA tour again to now you're caddying for a PGA tour winner. And you, you've gone to the, the next level of the PGA tour because there's, there's the rank and file PGA tour guys. And then there's, you know, the top 50 or 75 in the world. And, you know, a guy who had only been professional for a couple of years at that time, he had, it, it allowed his world ranking to go up really fast by winning. Are you thinking to yourself, we just won a PGA event? Or are you thinking, we're going to the fucking Masters? Um, it was a little of both. Yeah. It's a win for you. It's a huge <laughs> win, right? Like, yeah. you feel like you won. Right? Oh, well, yeah. And, like and, and it, it's, it, you can, you know, caddying wise, there are some weeks where, you know, it doesn't matter what you do or say. Your guy's just, he's on. All you got to do is just stay out of the way. And sometimes there's, you know, a little bit that you can do that'll, that, that'll help, you know, spur them in the right direction. And, you know, for all the times that I've, you know, tried to have the right little bit of motivational thought to put in a player's ear and it didn't work, that week in Vegas it did work. Because we're standing in the ninth fairway on, on Sunday. He's like two under on the day. He's playing well. He's just not getting a whole lot out of it. We're waiting for this par five green to clear. And he, Smiley's sitting there. He's looking at the scoreboard and he goes, Aaron, who do you think is going to win this tournament today? I go, I still think you, you have time to have a say in that. And he goes, birdie, 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 par, birdie, eagle, birdie. And just rattles off a whole bunch of, whole bunch of birdie issues, 29 in the back. And next thing you know, he's, he's, he's a winner. And I was like, well. holy shit. And it, and it was another caddy said to me that day. It's like, sometimes just the, the right thing to say at the right time. And it's like, you know, how many times have I felt like I said the right thing at the right time? And it yeah. didn't have that result, but you know that's the, that's what you you do the job for is you know, to have is to be in those in those moments to you know to to feel the the excitement and the pressure of being in contention and you know those last few holes it was just how do how do we make another birdie <laughs> that's so oh, fucking cool so you touch how do you, how does it go about you go to the masters like just you get there yeah, yourself once, yeah, is that we, how it works i mean once once he qualified he basically can go – he can make as many trips to Augusta as he wants. So his first one was uh, – obviously, he took his dad. You can bring one guest with you. I mean, it's a non-playing guest. It's a not – I couldn't even caddy for him when I went. He had to take a local caddy. So basically, I was just walking along with him, which was great for me because it allowed me to do all my preparation work, you know, look at, you know, the greens and the holes, and, and you, know, you can – you can give me another three weeks straight of, on that golf course yeah. preparing for a tournament. I w- still won't feel like I've done everything I could or yeah. want to do, but it's just because I want to spend as much time on that on that piece of property as would be possible. But the uh, I remember the first time we went there, um, I was here in Buffalo. We had a week off, and I flew down to Atlanta, and Smiley lives in Birmingham, so he drove over from Birmingham, picked me up at the Atlanta airport, and we you know went to Augusta from there. And he played that afternoon and then again the next morning. And the whole drive over from the Atlanta airport to Augusta, the the back and forth conversation we were having is, what are you going to order for breakfast tomorrow? (laughs) Because you go, you're in the clubhouse at Augusta National and you sit down for breakfast and they don't hand you a menu. Really? Guy just says, what do you want? <laughs> we'll make it. Really? Yeah. So I mean, we're having this long back and forth about, so what are you going to order? <laughs> what are you, what, are what you did gonna you have? order? <laughs> uh, corned beef, fashion eggs. 
Really? Wow. I figured it, it, my thought was that's what uh, it, it was. I don't, I, I can order a hundred different things. I know I'm going to enjoy no matter what I get. Like, what would my dad order? Yeah, you he'd, want, he'd do corn Irish, Catholic. That's <laughs> yeah. just, just kind of what what came to mind. I, I had a couple different thoughts in mind, but I, that's the one I went with. Wow. So then the, you get there, you got the practice round. The week of the tournament? The week of the tournament. Yeah. Um, I actually I drove down from here. Um, I like to do, I like to drive if I can. Um, you know, you're on the road traveling half the year. Airports wear you down really fast. Oh, I bet. The airports are just, they're hell for me. Airports, airplanes, it's people at their worst. (laughs) 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 So I drive as much as I can. So I drove down for that tournament and I think I think I drove, I think I left here on like Saturday and played golf and camden south carolina with a buddy of mine down there and, and then went over to augusta on sunday and uh it was uh I, honestly I, I don't really remember a whole lot of the early part of that week it was just uh I, you know you put you put the white jumpsuit on and uh you do that every it, day every day you... every every well i mean you have to if you're if, if you're in, inside the ropes uh, the week of the Masters, as a caddy, you have to be wearing the the, the jumpsuit. Hmm. You can walk outside the ropes just wearing you know, like a golf shirt and shorts, and that's what I would do kind of before rounds, just kind of go scout out the golf course a little bit. But you know, it, when when I was doing my normal caddy preparation, you know, on the greens, rolling balls, and you know, measuring distances, this and that, uh, and I'm out there in the the full white jumpsuit. And if you remember correctly, this is the guy that had. What is, was it a Bills or a Saber shirt? It was a Saber shirt. Yeah. A Saber shirt underneath I the found, overalls. I went and I found two. Uh, I mean, it was it was something that I had in mind the entire time. Like I think I was probably thinking it that night in Vegas after Smiley won. I was like, <laughs> I gotta find a Saber shirt with a big enough logo that's high enough in the chest so that it can get over the you know over the, the top of the yeah the zipper. I mean. In, I think I think by Saturday though I had that zipper down to my the, my belly button. It was like the full Savers logo out there. It was uh, th- that was I still have those those two T-shirts. I still wear them a bunch. That's uh, it, that was that was really cool. That you know I got to represent Western New York a little bit, and, it, and I guess it kind of took off here as well. It's awesome. How do you do on the skip hole when he was practicing? Oh, on sixteen, he uh, I think he he hit it in the water. Yeah. Uh... Um. Trying to remember though, I saw a bunch of cool shots. I saw someone hit a hole in one. I think it was Brooks Kapka hit it off the water and hole in one. Yeah, that's a that's one of those you know great little traditions about Augusta. Is there, I mean, there are so many so many things about that tournament and that golf course that I mean, you could could spend all day talking about you know just the different aspects of it and that that cool little little scene around sixteen with people hitting skipping it across the pond and. Yeah, that was uh, that that was fun. Did he do the par three? He did do the par three. He made a hole in one in the par three. Really? He had nice. he had his mom caddying for him in the par three, and uh, I think he made a hole in one in the seventh hole. And there were like there were just like a shit ton of hole in ones that day. It was it was it was a pretty cool experience. I remember he, he like threw the club down. He had a great reaction <laughs> to it. And I, my my whole thought just watch, watching the par three was I'm walking around with some of his friends uh, outside the ropes, and you can't see shit. I was like, how do you people watch a golf tournament from out here? 
get me inside the ropes or yeah, I'm standing right. next to the guy hitting the shot. I was up behind nine. It was I was in a really cool spot for it. That is a good spot. Yeah, it was awesome. So you it's it's Thursday. What time are you up? Early? I don't remember if we were a morning or an afternoon time, but I, I don't remember sleeping a whole lot. Straight, yeah, I straight diarrhea, shitting <laughs> yourself. I, 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 let's see, it was it was 2016, so I'd been you know caddying for 10 years at that point. I've you know been in. I've, it, it wasn't my first major, um, but you know it's it's still it's still Augusta. It's still the Masters. It's yeah. this is you know I and the funny thing about it is up until that week. Like I had grown up, you know, and this is, I think a kind of a north south split to the way golf people view things. Uh, it's like I always grew up, whereas, you know, my, you know, the pinnacle for me would be the U.S. Open. But that's because it's more, it, it's the tournament we see in the Northeast. Right. You know, there, there have been U.S. Opens here. And I mean, PGAs as well, but nobody considers the PGA. Yeah. Uh, but so, I mean, that was always the one that I kind of had built up in my mind. And obviously, I mean, the Masters is huge. And you have that built up as, you know, something incredible and a great experience that if you ever got to go to, would be just awesome. And it's the only thing in my life that, you know, I had built up to be something great. And it surpassed that by a thousand. I mean, uh, there, like, like I, we said earlier, I mean, there's no way that you can describe to somebody just how amazing everything about the Masters is right. because it's it's something that has to be experienced in order to really get it. Because it's a, your a, way. Yeah. It's however you're experiencing yeah. it, for sure. It really is. And it, it's just, I just, I, I, I shake my head at the fact that I got to do it. And, and I, you went to the U.S. Open. You did both, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so. did, yeah. And did the, the U.S. Open later on that year. Uh, at Oakmont, and which was cool, but felt kind of like a letdown after Augusta. Yeah, it's oh, like yeah. You, you go from a tournament where everything is run absolutely perfectly without a flaw. If something's gone wrong in the past, they've corrected it twice. Right. And then you go to the U.S. Open, where the USGA has no control over anything. And I think at Oakmont was the first year that Fox was doing the broadcast, or it might have been the second year, but. I mean, if you knew how to spell Fox, you got a media pass. So, I mean, you couldn't get across the driving range just to get a bag of balls because there are, you know, 15 people with media credentials in your way and it's just an absolute right. mess. Where the Masters was like a gentleman's. Masters, I mean, there's nobody from there's nobody from TV on the range. There's nobody from anywhere. I mean, even manufacturer's representatives, they have to stand off to the side until they're called on onto the range by a player if they need their help. Whereas, you know, at the U.S. Open, you know, every company has every possible representative they can there to, you know, you know, help whatever player try to put clubs in people's hands or whatever, whatever the case may be in their in, in their specific uh, example there. But I mean, for me, I just I, I, I wanted to love the U.S. Open and 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 didn't have as nearly the same kind of experience that I did as uh, that I did at the masters. But I mean, the open's still pretty cool. Yeah. So but it, it's, it might be my fourth major. Oh yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, as cool as, 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 you know, Augustus experience was going to the British open was equally, it was equally fun in a different way. Um, it was a, a that same summer we smiley did all four majors. So we played, at Royal Troon for the British Open, and just everything about it. it 
it was a little bit different, a little bit different about everything being involved with that golf tournament, but it was a cool experience as well. So, I mean, for me, it goes the Masters, the Open Championship, and then it's kind of a tie between the PGA and the U.S. Open. And then I guess the players is fifth. How were how was dealing with the this, the bunkers over there, preparing for that? Well, you don't have to rake them. <laughs> yeah, every true. group has has somebody to rake the bunker for you in, right. in the British Open, which was which was kind of which was different. Why uh, is that? I don't know. It's just something that they've always done. Um, I like it because you know you know it's somebody who's that's all they're thinking about. That's what they're doing that day is they're going and they're they're making sure that they leave a bunker in the exact kind of condition you would want to see it in. I can't tell you how many times, especially coming up nationwide tour days, where you your guy would hit a shot in a bunker and it's like, okay, that's a good spot for this whole location. That should be an easy up and down. And then you're in someone's footprint because oh. the caddy did a terrible job of raking the bunker. And, you know, I, now, that's always kind of the way that that always sticks in my mind whenever I'm raking a bunker is like make sure you don't leave it in a condition where somebody's going to be penalized even more so sure. by hitting it there. So I'm I'm a little bit OCD about how I rake my bunkers, but uh, and and that's kind of the way that I I would imagine somebody whose job it is to just walk with a group and rake the bunkers and it's going to leave it in perfect condition. Now some of the bunkers over there, you're just absolutely screwed if you hit it in, no matter how good of a lie you get because they have, you know, these deep faces and the stack sod. And we hit it in some bad spots that week as well. And uh, as a result, we only uh, we only played golf for two days. <laughs> but at the Masters, you guys played? Played all four. All four. And you were tied for the lead, and then you yeah, were he, a part of he, history a little bit. Well, yeah, get to that later. We'll definitely talk about it. That was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, 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 we can get to that. Uh, yeah, but th- that Smiley shot uh, 69 on Saturday in really tough conditions. And, you know, had, he had played solidly the first couple of days. It was one of those, it was one of those kind of cold weather, north wind, low scoring type of weeks the first three days of the tournament and smiley was he was just ball striking the shit out of it and you know went just way up the leaderboard after shooting a three under round on saturday everybody was shooting over par and you know suddenly it's like we're in the last group wow I didn't sleep much that night. I know that much. Yeah. Diarrhea. That's that's all I can say. <laughs> Just stress. <laughs> yeah, it was uh th- there were uh, there was an early trip to the bathroom and then maybe maybe another one in the in in the caddy house and there there might have been a third one before we got to the tea. <laughs> and you're paired up with whom? Uh Jordan Spieth. Good guy? Yes. Yeah, okay. I like Did you hear I think you, people have this uh idea about him that is just not true they don't know like you say oh i don't i don't like a lot of guys we're in a lot of pools around here sure and uh so i'm not taking the rich kid i don't know this why is, he got is, labeled that this is golf how many of them aren't rich kids <laughs> well exactly <laughs> i mean it, it's not exactly the type of sport that you could you know you know grow up in uh, from meager meager beginnings it's like skiing <laughs> yeah and it's like how many uh, is you don't run into a lot of people that you know, don't come from uh, at least somewhat of a privileged background because it's just kind of what it, what golf lends itself to. I mean, you do have more more nowadays, especially with the with what the first tee program's done. Sure, and you know, you see 
you see a lot of guys coming, you know, coming out of that and learning the game through, through that, uh, guy that I caddied for a little bit this summer, uh, Scott Langley is the first, first graduate of the first tee program to play on the PGA tour. Oh, really? It's a cool little fact about yeah. that. Uh, but cool. yeah, it's, uh, it, it's something that probably I think, I think the golf world would like to be better at is, is getting the game exposed to more people and to, to different to different income levels and I think it's slowly moving in that direction but you know I don't think it's really fair to for people right. to have pegged Jordan as the rich kid because you know that doesn't necessarily set him apart from anybody else no. out there so good guy you say you're you know you guys are the the most competitive person I've ever met in my life really we ended up it's funny because that night after the tournament and you know we can we, we can delve into why he might have been in, in, in this certain mood. He, uh, we went to a party at the house that, that he had rented for the week. And, you know, it was, I, for me personally, I just wanted to unwind. It was, you know, a very stressful week, you know, but fun, fun stress. It's kind of what you do the job for. Uh, but I just wanted to relax and enjoy myself, good company, what have you. There was not a single moment that I was there that Jordan wasn't competing at something whether it was beer pong flip cup shooting baskets I mean there was not a moment he wasn't competing because he had it because the day had gone poorly for him and he wanted to compete and win at something to get the taste out of his mouth that was at least the the way I took it but it was it it's it's a different level of and I'm I'm a very competitive person myself. I think you have to be in order to do anything sure. at, at that level. But he takes it to the absolute extreme. It was just it was something that that stood out to me in terms of uh, in terms mm-hmm. of unique character personality with him is just how competitive he is. Well, the collapse. Talk about the collapse a little bit. Those that don't that are listening don't know about it. Yeah, he. Uh, I guess he made. Uh, every putty looked at the front nine. Yeah. And it, like, it just, I mean, at one point, Smiley and I were just shaking our heads. It's like, he's How like, was he he's doing? Smiley? Yeah, at the time. Terrible. <laughs> really? Like, I, I, he he hit it to like three feet on uh, on the first hole and missed the putt. And then two putt birdie on number two and then pretty much everything went wrong after that and he he had kind of been fighting the putter all week and it kind of got derailed there during that round and like he hit you know hit a bad putt on three and a bad putt on four and it's just kind of snowballed from there and i'm trying to help him put the wheels back on and you know the tournament's basically slipping away from us throughout that front nine and so, I mean, we make the turn. I think Jordan's probably leading by three, maybe four. And we get put on the clock. We didn't get put on the clock. We got warned. We got warned coming oh, off the I 11th. I remember team. that. Yeah. And it was it was just odd the the way that Jordan and, and his caddy, Michael Greller, kind of reacted to it. And it wasn't at that point. So what if they put you on the clock? So what if they, if they, if you, even if you get a bad time, they're not going to penalize you there in that spot as the last group, but they kind of, everything about them sped up. But why would they put you on the clock if there's nobody behind you? 
if you're out of position, that's still what they have to do. Oh, it's okay. kind of, you know, the, the policies of the tour are, you know, if you're, if you don't meet your time par, if you're that much far, if you're that much behind, they're going to ask you to try to try to, you know, catch up. And if you don't catch up, then they're going to start timing. you. Okay. And, you know, Jordan's, uh, I, I'm not going to call him a slow player, but he's he's probably he's not a stranger to being timed. So this shouldn't have been something that affected him, but it did. And I think they made he made bogey on eleven. Might have been double actually, but I mean I don't remember the exact details. But you know that's where there was the first like crack in the armor, and it kind of happened immediately after you know getting warned about about pace of play. And then they just have this really short conversation about the T-ball at 12 and that back right pin that you don't go anywhere near ever. Under any <laughs> circumstances, you don't hit it at that pin unless you're like seven or eight over like Smiley was. <laughs> and, uh, you, know, it's a, you know, it's a type of shot where it calls for him just to hit a draw into the middle of the green, two putt, get out with your par, move on. And for some reason, he decided that he was going to try to hit a fade to that pin. And he overdid it and hit it in the water. And then he takes his drop. And this is where, this is kind of where everything, everything went really haywire. And Smiley and I had the best seats in, on the planet for it. <laughs> yeah. Because there, there were only three people on that side of Ray's Creek. It was me, Smiley, and the cameraman. And, Remember that. And Jordan takes his drop probably at like 80 yards. So he can hit kind of a foolish wedge shot. And he's and he's sitting there and he's measuring out the drop, trying to figure out where he wants to go with it. And Smiley goes, I wouldn't drop there. There's no way I would drop there. I go, what do you mean? He's like, I would, I would drop right up by the creek, chip it across, two putt, make my double, just get out of there. Limit the damage as much as you can. Okay. And he hits a shot, just absolutely lays the sod over it. And I had enough time while the ball was in the air to say to Smiley, that might not get to the creek. It, I mean, it was just barely in the creek. Yeah. And then he, he hit it in the water again after that. Yeah, he yeah, did. He I, wa- it I watched then, it last night. Yeah. And, and, then, and then he hits it in the back bunker <laughs> and gets that up and down for a great seven. Unbelievable <laughs> seven, I it thought. Was a, I mean <laughs> – because the, the wedge shot was far easier than the one from the back bunker. Getting that one up and down was, I mean, I, I don't think he gets enough credit for that. Yeah. Because that's the, that, that's the part where you see a lot of professional golfers just spiral out of control. And they just completely lose the plot at that point, And they just kind of black out and, and, and do, do whatever happens. And you can make 10 from that spot real easily. You can hit it in the creek again. Right. But him getting that up and down, that was – uh, that, that was it was impressive and and the conversation that he had with with Greller coming off the next tee was was equally impressive because they're still talking about how they can win the tournament but like they, they're telling the cameras not to come near him anymore like it was is that something that ever really happens or not really you no. know you don't really have the opp- I mean if you're if you're worrying about that at that point and you're just completely lost yeah. yeah they started swarming in and he was the caddy was like get out of cameras out of his face right now yeah it like, was getting a little it was tense. like yeah geez we're so at that point where you like man i want to be in the group where the guy wins or were you misery loves company um i was trying to figure out a way whether or not we could still win really because i i mean all all we knew was that 
no, we're a lot closer to Jordan than, than we'd had been. And we forgot that there were other people playing in the tournament, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it, it, much like – it was funny. Much like their conversation was, well, we still have two par fives left. We can make, make – you know, try to sneak in a birdie on, like, 14 or 17 or this, this, that, and the other thing. And there's still opportunities here that we could still win the golf tournament. Like, I'm listening to that thinking, you know, we could, we could still ma- run off a bunch of birdies as well and, you know, still still make a, make a run at this. But, I mean, we – we didn't. We ended up making some messes of, of other holes. And I think we posted 81 that day. But, uh, I mean, it was, uh, it, was, it was impressive to hear them, their conversation coming up after the tee balls on 13, walking up to the, to the fairway. It was, okay, we're this far back. We can still birdie here. We can still make birdie or eagle on 15. Uh, we could still put pressure on yeah. it. It's like, all right, that's – The that, competitive that's, nature you were talking about. That's the reaction that I would want. I would want my player to have is to, is to, you know, okay, we just had, you know, as much adversity as you could possibly face, but let's, let's keep going after it. Let's, you know, focus on what we have to focus on here and, 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 and still, still try to make a run at this. I mean, a lot of times you see a situation like that is a guy doesn't even want to talk about anything and it's just completely out of it. And there's nothing you can say to bring him back. Can you name any nut jobs on the tour, or do you you don't want to get into that? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> there are all sorts of varieties of nut jobs on the tour, um, you know. And it's it's the it, it's it's golf allows itself to have a lot of characters. Yeah, and and each each individual player has his quirks and uh, little cool aspects about him. Um, I was telling a story the other night about uh, Cliff Kresge, who in golf circles is known as Cliff Crazy. <laughs> Cliff, when Cliff was in contention in a tournament, you would you would always know he would always do this. Caddies saw it enough that they that they started to comment about it. He would he's in contention. He's starting to feel a little bit of pressure, and you know, as part of his pre-shot routine, he you know picks up some grass out of. Uh, pull some grass out of the ground and throws it up in the air. Except for he would grab the grass, throw it up in the air, but he wouldn't look at it. <laughs> <laughs> and then it would kind of click into his mind that he just threw grass into the air to determine where the wind was, and he'd even look to see where it went. And so he would reach down, and he'd pick up another another chunk of grass, and he'd just put that in his pocket. <laughs> I've seen it happen. It, it, like, by the end of the round, he <laughs> having a whole lawn in his pocket essentially because he'd just been pulling grass out of the ground put it in his pocket because the mind does some weird things when you're when you're in contention and when when the pressure's ratcheted up in a golf tournament i mean there and there are probably you know a thousand similar stories to that you know the 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 weird stuff that people do when 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 the pressure is a little bit a little bit more heightened in a golf tournament definitely what's the what's the nightlife like in the pga tour because you got to get up some. I mean, every other day at least. If you're doing well, you're getting up early. You're getting up well, later yeah, on Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, but you always have one early tea time, right? You know, whether or not it's Thursday or Friday, you're going to have one morning time. So you know, at least once a week, your alarm's going to go off at some stupid hour, right? And you know, you get a lot of lot of tea times where they're trying to maximize daylight. So if you're at the beginning of a wave, like I've been, you know, first group at at uh, PGA National at the Honda Classic and teed off at 6.45. 
like the tee time is 645. So you're getting to the golf course at 515 or earlier to, you know, for warmups and, you know, an hour warmup or so. And, you know, that alarm's going off at three something. Yeah. So I was like, I got out of radio, so I didn't have to wake. I didn't have the alarm going off at three thirty every morning. This is part of why I didn't want to do that anymore. But you know, it's you know, if you're only doing it once a week, it's not that bad. But it certainly limits the the nightlife. Um, and I think I, I think the way it's gotten to on the PGA Tour is that there's there's so much money at stake that you just you there's really no reason to fuck around when you're on, on the road. Right. I mean, you have enough, one of the great aspects of the job is that you have half the year off. Yeah. Yeah. So go home and enjoy yourself when you're home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I basically got to spend 13 years vacationing in Buffalo, <laughs> which is, Good which way is, look at yeah. It. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was every time I'd come home, I'm on vacation and you know, what better place to be than your hometown for that? Who's your, Who's your dream group? You're a caddy. We'll do this both ways. Your dream group, you can pick anybody hmm. to play golf with. So we'll say a foursome to play with. And then to work in a threesome that you're working with. Okay. Interesting question. I, I, this is, I feel like this is one that I've thought of and, and, and had it, would have had an answer at some point prepared. But I don't know what I have right now. Um, I think to play in... Uh, the easiest part of that is my dad's going to be involved in the group. Awesome. Because I, I learned the, learned the game from him. I, you know, learned to love playing golf, being on the golf course with other people that all comes from my dad. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't have had any of the experiences that I've had without, you know, him teaching me the game and, and, you know, beyond that, I'm not sure I really care who else is in the group. That's a as good, long as, as long answer. as he's there. Good answer. Yeah. So, uh, what was your uh, your last job, or what was the the way that it went to where you are today? Um, the last guy that I caddied for was Jordan Niebrugge. Uh Jordan is a young professional from Wisconsin who actually had an amazing amateur career. He was, you know, two time Walker Cupper. Uh, he finished fifth at the British Open as an amateur. So he had, you know, a lot of, he went to Oklahoma State, was an All-American, you know, one of those, you know, can't miss type of players that has, hasn't quite gotten off the ground yet. Um, you know, he, he had, you know, web.com corn fairy status this year and, you know, played a full, full season, but, you know, didn't do much with it. I worked for him the last five events of the year and, you know, it was, you know, set up through his agent and, you know, it was, you know, it, you know, he had had a buddy caddying for him and, you know, they've, they felt that, you know, they needed somebody with more experience to help him. And, you know, so, you know, the agent talked him into hiring a tour caddy and try to, you know, help him, you know, get to his full potential and, you know, to, to, you know, move on to the PGA tour, hopefully. And, uh, so I was the big name caddy that they brought in and we missed all five cuts. But that's kind of a, a a bit of a microcosm to what my last year was. It was uh, I think I did fourteen tournaments and missed twelve cuts. Best finish, tied for forty fifth at some tournament in San Antonio. But that's like kind of like the thing about being on. It's like the guy starts playing hot, and you're 
you'd go you could be back in masters right yeah it's it is it is crazy how how quickly it can go well or poorly in my business it's uh you know it's the type of thing where you have to you just have to be as optimistic as you possibly can be and you know come show up at work every day like this is going to be the day where it turns around mm-hmm. and to be ready to provide whatever support you need to to help that happen um you know, because it, like you said, it can, it can change really quickly. It can, you can go from, you know, grinding it out at a, what's essentially a mini tour or AAA event level mm-hmm. to being at the masters in a few short months. It, it, it can really happen that quickly. Well, and yeah. sometimes you could just end up, you know, lucking into a job. Like you could be working for, you know, some, I, I, it's at any point this year, I could have been working, you know, web.com events and, you know, somebody calls me up and say, Hey, do you, I, I need somebody at this PGA tour event. It's like, Oh yeah, I'm there. Yeah. yeah that's kind of where you, where you want to be working, but it's gotten a little bit harder to do that over, you know, the last handful of years. And if you're not, don't have the, the, I guess, right connections. Sure. I mean, I, I have, it's not that I have bad connections. It's just that, uh, some of the jobs are going through, certain people now uh there's a an organization that i've never seen eye to eye with but they they end up passing out a lot of jobs and they haven't passed any to me so it's made it a little bit more difficult in recent years from my perspective but um you know it doesn't matter if i still go go and do my job correctly and and help a player achieve his his goals and play up to his potential i can still get back there absolutely yeah it, just, it seems it like just, hustle yeah it just i mean it had hadn't worked out this year yeah, it, right. this, this, this year was just a really bad year and last year was also not a very good year and the, the year before was also not a very good year <laughs> but not a <laughs> very mean, good year I mean, for golfing for golfers you know what i mean that's the thing it's just yeah. it's one aspect well yeah i can it, it this has kind of been you know one of the things that i had to it was frustrating early on in my caddying career, but it's something I kind of made peace with over time where it doesn't really matter how well I do my job. Right. Because True. it I, I can I can be flawless in terms of everything I say and, you know, every wind direction and how far every shot's playing. If if the guy doesn't execute the shot, it doesn't matter how well I do my job. Now, from the other side of the coin, if I do my job poorly, I can certainly get in his way. For sure. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's an interesting, you can't really just check out and say, okay, it's all up to him because you can still screw up your job and screw him right. up. But even if you do everything properly, it still isn't necessarily going to result in a good finish. It's, right. You could still nail every single shot from a caddy's perspective and have the weekend off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like golf, it's like how we said it. It's like, it's not like a, it's not a bunch of, people who aren't well off playing the game. It's like people put money into this game as well. You know, like you have your son or somebody, it's like, there's so many ways to make your money. It's like, if you want to be on the bag making your money, or if you're giving lessons, there's, there's like ridiculous ways to make money in the game. There's also a lot of ways to go broke, especially as, especially as a a struggling professional golfer. And you are just doing nothing but spending money. I mean, to play in to even, even like looking at it from a, you know, cornferryweb.com tour level it's you know probably a minimum of 2000 to play in every tournament just on expenses for a player between paying caddy hotel airfare rental car etc and if you miss the cut you're just out two grand 
or more. Right. And that starts to pile up. You keep playing poorly. You keep spending money. You keep losing money. And that's all you start to notice is that it's not, you know, okay, I have time to, to work my way through whatever's going on with my game. You start putting that, that added pressure on yourself because you're spending money. Mm-hmm. You're spending money that you may or may not have. You know, a lot of guys are, you know, can t- keep their careers alive just by maxing out credit cards. You know, there are a lot of guys that, you know, the, I think of, you know, Steve LeBrun, who's a guy who's in his probably got to be his mid forties by now that, you know, I remember, you know, being paired with in a, you know, nationwide tour event, my first, first handful of weeks caddying back in 06. And he went for like 10 years without having status on any major tour and got his status back on web.com this past year and had a really good chance to, you know, to get to the PGA tour. He had a good finish early in the season ended up finishing like 30th or 40th on the money list. And all it basically does is get him another chance at, at that triple a level again this year. But uh, you read stories about him, you know, how many times he thought about quitting and you know, how close he was to, to giving it up and you know, how many credit cards him and his wife maxed out to make, to keep the dream alive. And wow. every time it's like, every time I was ready to give up, I would win a tournament you know, win some yeah. mini tour event. It's like, okay, I, you know, here's an extra 5,000 to go play with. And I can, mm-hmm. you know, I can keep myself afloat for a little bit longer. And it's the same thing from a caddy's perspective. Um, you know, we're independent contractors, so I'm paying for all my own travel expenses and, you know, paying for, you know, my expenses back home as well, you know, rent and bills mm-hmm. and all that stuff that, you know, you know, normal everyday people have to worry about, even though I don't do a normal everyday person type of job. And, uh, you know, you miss cuts and you, you starts to starts to pile up pretty quickly and you, you kind of look at things and you go, this is, this isn't going the direction that I want it to. And you, and, and you look for, you look for ways to change, change the, change the momentum and look for ways to, you know, and you just work harder. That's what, that's kind of the way I always went about it. It's like, you know, things aren't going well. I, I'll go spend more time on the golf course. You know, I can be better prepared. I, I can, I can help in a different way. It's, uh, you know, you, you, you try to do whatever you can to, to, to keep the dream alive and to, to stay optimistic and, and, and give yourself, you know, a chance to change things. Right. I got to ask you a couple things outside the ropes. Okay. Because this is bugging the shit out of me. I'm a huge golf fan. I'm not a very, you know, I'm like in 19, so I'm not, I'm not a great golfer, but I love the game. That's more important. And, I've always, and this is, this is my, my dad's great lesson to me about the, about the game of golf. He said golf is a game for people. First and foremost, and you know, you can be. It doesn't matter how good or bad you are on the golf course. Be good company. Yeah. Well, oh, I'm, be, I'm good company out there. That's for sure. <laughs> and th- then anytime you want to play, I'm interested. <laughs> All right. I don't. Want, the, the thing is, I'd much rather play with a 1920 handicap that's good company than a scratch golfer that's a dick. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good I get point. That. I get it. What about the, these guys yelling on the tee? What are these the players in the PGA think of, of these losers? I think it kind of depends on who you're talking to. Yeah. Maybe whether and what age group. Cause the younger guys kind of like it. The younger guys are, are, are certainly more okay with it than, than the older guys would be. But I mean, I think it's, it's the, I think it's pretty dumb. Baba Booey guy. I can't stand him. Um, mashed potatoes, mashed potatoes. I went to the, uh, the PGA in Rochester, chicken wings and blue cheese guy. Oh, I yeah. had it out with chicken wing and blue cheese guy. Good. Almost got thrown out of the tournament. 
At least he wasn't saying ranch. Well, yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. What do you care, pale? I go, this is a gentleman's game. Will you fucking act like a gentleman out here? Well, I'm saying fuck you to the guys. Yeah, well, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, you got to get your point across, and the best yeah. way to get your point across is to swear at somebody yeah. sometimes. Yeah. What about these guys wearing spikes watching the events? Oh, my God. That's do you guys make fun of them or yes. what? Oh, I hope so. I mean, the, the funniest thing is that you'll see, and you see it a lot with walking scorers. You know, the yeah. guys that are, you know, in with the little handheld computer device mm-hmm. keeping track of how many shots everybody hits. And, uh, like, they're there in their golf shoes. And, and, and you see spectators there in their golf shoes. I, do they think they're going to get called in for a shot? <laughs> they got to be ready to go. They can't, they're not going to have time to change their shoes or their, 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 their sneakers aren't going to cut it. I, like, I, 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 I walk golf courses for a living. I spend, you know, you know, I'm walking six, seven miles a day. I don't wear golf shoes. This right, I, was I, wear. I, wear, I wear New Balance. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good to hear. Because I cannot, that guy that I was arguing with. He, he was wearing golf shoes. Of course he was. <laughs> what kind of golf shoes was he wearing? He had he had the uh, the Freddie Couples boat shoe. Oh, the Echoes. The Echoes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Well, at least he at least he chose what is known as a comfortable golf shoe. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the thing that makes no sense, because a lot of golf shoes are not comfortable. They look good, but they're not comfortable. And those, those are the ones that I just shake my head at. Like, why, why, would, you, why would you be wearing a pair of dry joys? <laughs> yeah. to the golf tournament that's my first thought is like somewhere in the back of his mind he hopes somebody's going to ask him to hit a shot they're, oh, they're yeah. going to walk past oh. the range you're like hey you want to hit one can you carry that bag yeah pick it up yeah. <laughs> so how many holes in one you've been involved with smiley have any any of your players ever have one on tour mm-hmm. let me see here don't think smiley had one when i was in the bag with him uh Kokrak had one uh, the Canadian Open at Glen Abbey, I guess it would have been like 2013. And the most memorable thing about it was like, as he's picking the ball out of the hole, the horn goes for the lightning delay. Oh. So it's like, oh, great. We just made a, we just went birdie hole in one. And now we have to wait two hours, to hit our next shot. So much for momentum. What's it go? What's, how does the guy have to buy on the PGA if he has the hole in one? What, how does that work out? Does he got to buy drinks, or is it I mean, just like, yeah, we're over this shit? Pretty much. I mean, it's a. I'm, I'm sure that there's some aspect of that, but you know, it's not. It's not like he's buying drinks for the whole tournament. I'm gonna tell you. Re- I'm gonna tell you a really good hole in one story, with my co-host here. So we're playing in a local high school event to raise money or whatever. Mark doesn't wear at the time. Doesn't wear shoes when he plays golf. Like any shoes. Any shoes. Barefoot. Jim McMahon. <laughs> Jim McMahon plays barefoot? Jim McMahon plays... Jim mm. McMahon's a nutcase. <laughs> <laughs> in all in all facets of life, but yeah. you know, on the golf course, he plays barefoot. Well. And he puts it in. Third hole, Casanova. Nice. Puts it in. What club? Uh, pitch and wedge. Nice. Yeah. So he has to work later on, because you know, we're not pro golfers. <laughs> he calls off. Oh, yeah. You call off for that. Yeah. yeah. Calls off. And now it's just on. Oh yeah. Now now it's now it's on. You know, we we were only on the fourth hole, and we had did you fourteen more? Did yeah. you called off like immediately? Yeah. Like before <laughs> yeah. you hit another shot, it's like, I, I, hang yeah. on, I gotta call into work. I was I running in, in circles, throwing my shit in the air, <laughs> driving the golf cart up to buy beers. But then, I mean, Proper. I I put my card up at the thing. They charged me for everybody's drink. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. People so, really railroaded them. Oh, so yeah. So then we go to the bar that's on the street. We're not going to say the bar. They're future, not a sponsor, I guess. Future no. sponsor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he gets the bill. And, I mean, they really didn't take care of him at all. No. And he worked there. That's wow. what, that's where I called off. <laughs> <laughs> so they ding him. Well, well, I mean, I can see why the motivation for doing yeah. that from their perspective might have been. Because <laughs> well, whoever it is that rang that bill up, you, pro- you probably stuck with having to work yeah. extra that day. For sure. So then the patio furniture starts to yeah, go. Yeah, I threw the fr- patio <laughs> furniture into the street. <laughs> I mean, that seems like a reasonable response. Yeah. yeah. Then I went to a christening. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good True day. True story. But barefoot. That's a good day. Barefoot the whole time. I don't remember. We might have probably put, probably put shoes on for. The I don't know, bar but after, after that, I did get like some sort of infection on my foot from walking <laughs> golf courses barefoot. I mean, if if I make a hole in one barefoot, I don't think I'm putting shoes on for like a week minimum. Yeah. No, um, but it, the, yeah, describe how this thing went in. I yell fuck. Yeah. I hit it because I always hit a low shot over. And I hit it way lower than I usually would. And then Jim's standing there. He's like, this thing's got a shot. <laughs> yeah. I turn around and. <laughs> well, yeah. And then the, the guys that work the, the local golf course, are, you know, you know, your your friend's got to put shoes on. I said, he's not fucking putting shoes on. He had a hole in one barefoot. He's never wearing <laughs> shoes if he doesn't want to. He's, <laughs> Seriously. He's going barefoot. And they're like, all right, fine. But my, that, is, that was that was a lot of fun. My, my hole in one experience um, was. It was about ten years ago. It was it was it was the week of the Masters, and I'm in Georgia, like staying with friends for you know it's a week off from whatever tour I was working on at that point. And I go and I play golf with one of my best friends from growing up here in Buffalo, a guy that I you know played a lot of golf with as a kid, uh, Kyle Hess. And Kyle and I went up to this golf course north of Atlanta, and you know we teed it up at like two three in the afternoon, and I think. I make every single possible score on the first six holes, you know, from par to triple. I'm playing terrible golf. And I think it goes like, I think I went triple, double, ace. And I made a hole in one on this, you know, 185-yard par three <laughs> with a group in front of us waiting for us to play through. So I had an audience. <laughs> oh, nice. And then the, the lucky part about it is the fact that we teed off so late in the day that by the time we got to the clubhouse, it was closed. So I didn't have to buy drinks for people there. <laughs> oh, that's good. But when we went down back back to Atlanta and went out that night, I think I ended up leaving my credit card at the bar and never saw it again. But it was uh, it was an expensive night, oh, but worth bad. it. Not bad. I never got it. Yeah. They should be buying you drinks. I was saying it to you that day. Yeah. Let me buy you a drink. You, you made a... To the victor goes the spoils. <laughs> <laughs> for some reason, though, that's not the way that, that, that golf is treated. How did that treated. start, you know? I have no idea. Some dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> Some rich kid. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'll buy you drinks. That's a tradition. So now, you know, we're waiting to, to hook on with another, you know, to loop with somebody else. You're doing a little play-by-play at Buff State. Yeah. I, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Tim Turner, is the coach of the Buff State club hockey team. And um, I basically have been kind of had it in the back of my mind that if, if I wanted to do something different than caddying, I wanted to be involved with hockey. And uh, my radio background, uh, which is you know, what I did before caddying, I've always figured that there, there, that there might be a way to use my voice to, you know, to get involved w- with hockey, which is you know, as much as I've been passionate about 
game of golf growing up, I was equally passionate in the wintertime about hockey. And there's just some, some point in the calendar where my brain flips and it goes from hockey to golf and golf to hockey and whatever. And uh, so I've kind of been looking at ways to maybe get into either public address announcing for hockey games or, or and actually Tim's idea was, was play-by-play. And you know, I never really thought about it. And it's like, well, I mean, it seems like something that would be an interesting challenge because if you've ever tried to do play-by-play of a hockey game, it's really fucking hard. Yeah. Uh, I, I learned that really fast. And uh, I've, I think I have about technically six games of experience under my belt at this point. I think it's probably proper to call it five and a third games. <laughs> Because the uh, my first experience was uh, just you know a little while back ago at the Ontario Junior Hockey League showcase at Harbor Center. Yeah, every team from that league came to Buffalo and played two games. You know, they had like twenty two different games over three days, and they had and they had you know a, a live stream of every game on uh, hockey TV, I guess it is, and they had I had heard like two days beforehand from a guy who does public address stuff here in Buffalo. They're like, well, I've, I've been told that they need play-by-play guys for the for the showcase. You want me to put your name in? I know it's last night. I'm like, yeah, I need the experience. I need the reps. And uh, so I, I checked back the, the day before. And I'm like, so did you hear back from them? They're like, no, nothing yet. Like, well, what time are you getting there Monday morning? You know, I'll be there at 9. I'm like, fine, I'll be there at 9. If they need me, I'm there. Worst case scenario, I just watch hockey which doesn't sound like a bad way to spend a Monday morning. So I get there about 9 o'clock, and, and uh, the uh, the commissioner of the league couldn't be happier to see me because he had nobody to do the first game. Wow. Oh, that's good. So it's like, all right, you got the 10-30 game, and you need to help us set up the equipment. And there's we a- got no idea what we're doing. <laughs> and there's a lot of Russians on the, on the away team. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning two rosters as, as we go. And trying to trying to figure out how to announce a hockey game live, yeah. And uh, it's it, talk about being thrown into the fire. I mean, that's really just as much as I possibly could have expected that. And it's kind of I think I maybe fell back on a little bit of little bit of my caddying experience when you know the pressure got ratcheted up. I always seemed to be better in caddying, and I was like, if I can do that there, I can do that here. All I'm doing is using my voice. So you know being put back against the wall, go and do it and better do it well. All right. I, I like that. Yeah. Did you grow up playing hockey? Yeah. I, uh, I started playing hockey when I was like six. I think I started playing golf when I was four. So they kind of ran, ran parallel to each other. Uh, I started, I learned from, uh, Chuck Rogers at, at Nichols school. He had the, oh, okay. the, the, the kids program on the little rink there. And, you know, I'm like, probably you know hundreds of thousands of other kids from from you know the north towns in north buffalo that that learned from chuck and that was the that's one of those cool cool little buffalo experiences that mm-hmm. that that i was lucky enough to have and it's a great way to have gotten started in the game because you know I'm, you know here i am you know 30 plus years down the road and i still love playing hockey just as much as i did when i was a kid now called the Buffalo Shamrocks. Buffalo Shamrocks. Well, yes. it was. It, I think there was some like connect, it was still it was Shamrocks related, and I never exactly knew where or 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 where the lines went from Shamrocks to the Bison's. Yeah. At that time, because I ended up going from you know playing in the little rink to playing for the Bison's. How old are you? 
Oh, you're you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna get me get me to reveal my age, right? <laughs> yeah. I grew up in the '80s and '90s. I'm 41. Okay, you're a little older than me, but yeah, I play I played over at Casino over here. I and North Buffalo. They sent me pack in one year. So uh, I did well, go to the Thundercats one year. <laughs> I uh, North Buffalo. I think that rink came along, you know, kind of somewhere a little bit later on in my my youth hockey career because I never played there as a kid. Tacoma, Tacoma, Tacoma yeah. yeah. But I, I I play there all the time now. Mm-hmm. Like I grew up. It, nice when rink. I, yeah, it is, and they and it keeps getting better. Oh yeah. It's it, the when when the Buffalo Bisons took over management of the rink from the city. Essentially, what their mandate was is you know run it as best you can. And, 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 you know, just, but they can't keep any of the profits. Oh yeah. Because, you know, the city still owns it. Every time, (laughs) every time they turn a profit, all they can do is put it back into the rink. Mm -hmm. So, you know, every year there's, you know, some major project going on at that North Buffalo rink to make the place better. And it's in, it's one of the better places to skate in West It really is. Oh, we got to talk off mic, Aaron. And we're we went we're not holding our breath here at Casanova. We need some improvements done to ours. Riverside looks great. Tacoma looks great. And Casanova. Eh. All right. Before we go, give me your best PGA story on a golf course. We've kind of touched on it a little bit here and there. Is the 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 that Master Sunday story? It was you know after Jordan hit two in the water, or however many in the water on twelve, and made seven, and Smiley actually hit it to about three feet and made birdie. Not many people remember that about that moment. <laughs> but, you know, they walk back to the 13th tee there, par five, and they get to the tee box and, you know, put the bag down and everybody kind of, you know, pulls their club and get, gets ready to go. And Jordan says to Smiley, my tee or yours? And Smiley's just like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I made two. You made seven. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. to, to the fact that he was able to be that that quick-witted in a in a moment where – you know, the golf tournament was collapsing around him was, it was, that, that was, it was very funny for the, for the, for the moment. And, and, uh, you know, to, to catch us off guard like that, it was pretty funny. Hey, no That's respect great. for Spieth after today. Yeah, right. You know? Well, Aaron Alperton, you can hear him play by play at Buff State Hockey. Are you on the dial? I think, you know, sometime, hopefully this weekend, uh, home game against Penn State Barron College, seven o'clock on Saturday at Buff State Ice Arena. Um, hopefully we have a live stream for that one. Um, at some point in the season, we will, uh, I think we'll get the technology up and running. Um, certainly though, we'll be having, you know, the live to tape broadcast that we've done for, uh, the, the previous home game and, uh, also doing the in arena announcements of goals, penalties, starting lineups, nice. trying to do my best Milt Ellis impression. Ah, yes. <laughs> the legendary voice of the odd. Every time I, I turn on the microphone to announce a, a goal or a penalty, that's the voice that I hear in my head. And yeah. that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to make it sound like. He was the best. <laughs> he really was. Yeah. Play by play at Buff State. Might be carrying a bag here or there. This is an off season. Enjoy your off season. Double A, Aaron Elpern. You are now listening to talk. Thanks a lot. Well, thanks for having me. All right. Enjoy. Thanks, yeah. Marky. Thanks. Well, thanks. Great Dana. job, boys. And now introducing the Buffalo Sabres, number 29, Gary Bromley. Number 30, Jerry Desjardins. 
number five, Lee Fogelin. Number three, Paul McIntosh. Number four, Jerry Korab. Number 22, Jocelyn Givermont. Number 24, Bill Height. Number 7, Richard Martin. Number 8, Jim Lawrence. <laughs> 